What I did to nourish myself at our last holiday party is just let them enjoy what they wanted. And it was interesting to see that they would have a few bites of something and then they would leave the rest on their plate. Welcome to the Real Food Mamas podcast. Today, I'm excited to share another little secret with you. Last week, I mentioned we were moving to weekly podcasts so we can share more incredible expert interviews and key takeaways to support you on your journey. So what's today's secret? Well, I think you probably heard it at the beginning. We decided to work with a production company to help improve the audio quality of the show and cut out parts you're probably not interested in, like all of the bios. Full bios will still be available in our show notes, so if you're interested in learning more about the speaker, you have that option. We want to keep these episodes full of great content within a reasonable time frame, so something had to be cut. There's still one more secret that we're going to share on next week's episode. I'll be interviewing Melissa Hartwig, co-creator of The Whole30, so maybe that gives you a major hint at what's to come. We're beyond excited, and I can't wait to finally share more soon. On today's episode, we'll expand on key points that were shared in the last episode, like navigating family meals, picky eating, introducing common allergens, and we'll even share our thoughts on dark chocolate for kids. We'll give you a sneak peek into our homes and share what we do with our family and our kiddos. Now on to the episode, starting with a segment you've told us you love, Nourish Yourself. All right, Steph. So let's go ahead into our Nourish Yourself Today segment. I love this segment. Um, What did you do to nourish yourself either today or maybe later today or maybe yesterday? Well, I want to talk about feeding kids because we're talking a lot about that in this episode. And I want to talk about what my strategy is for navigating holiday parties because this strategy has definitely helped nourish myself in the process. And the process that I do when it comes to holiday parties is I let it go. Um, That's my theme. Uh, When Otto was little, I tried to control what he ate at parties and I would like strategically move him when cake was served or leave before cake was served and like try to really control all the variables so that he was just filling himself with really healthy food. And I think, you know, over time and because I really have learned to pick my battles as a mom. I just let them kind of do what they want when it comes to eating at parties, um, you know, within reason, right? Like if they are like throwing back 25 marshmallows at a bonfire, I'll probably stop them. But if they want to have like a Capri Sun or if they want to have a marshmallow or if they want to have some, you know, barbecue potato chips, I'm going to just let them enjoy that because, They eat so healthy at home, Ilana, and I'm sure, you know, the moms that are listening to this show, they really do their best when it comes to feeding their kids inside their home, but you can only control so much, and I found that it's just not worth it trying to push them away from certain foods at the at the party or trying to manipulate every single variable so that they're only eating healthy protein and fat and fruits and vegetables. And it just, it gets to be so much and you don't enjoy the party because you're constantly hovering over their food choices. So what I did to nourish myself at our last holiday party is just let them enjoy what they wanted. And it was interesting to see that they would have a few bites of something and then they would leave the rest on their plate. You know, Otto went and made his first s'more that he's ever had and he had a couple of bites and then he left it on his plate and just walked away. Um, And, you know, same with Leo. He filled his plate with those barbecue chips and he had a couple and then he moved on. And so I think sometimes we are afraid of what's going to happen or we're worried about 
unnecessary things um, when it comes to feeding our kids. And we can't focus on perfection. We just have to focus on doing our best and letting the rest be. Oh, Steph, this is so inspirational to me because Aviva's only 17 months. So I literally am already like cringing at like all the birthday parties we're going to have to go to just because I know there's going to be such yeah. crappy food. Yeah. And and I think already to myself, I like and try to envision how do I want to be in those moments? Because I don't want to be the crazy mom. I don't want to be the neurotic mom. I don't like you said, you almost wanted to like leave before the cake came out. Like I don't want to deprive her of those type of fun celebrations. And sometimes this is so sad to admit, but I'm going to right now is I almost hope that my kids get like stomach aches from foods that are bad. And I'm like, Ilana, Mm -hmm. like, come on, you know, don't like hope that your kids get sick, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I do too. Right. But like like, helps them learn, right? It, well, it helps them learn, but like, they may not, they may be like, mom, I love cake. Like Mm -hmm. cake makes me feel great. Like I feel so much better eating cake than sardines. And I'm going to be like, no, you know, (laughs) so, but you know what? I love what you said is just allow them to explore. And I, I think we're so similar in that we know we give them nutrient dense foods at home. And if we are controlling their foods at home, because we are the main cook and you know, they're at home, the majority of feedings, then what's it going to be for that one, two, maybe three times out a week? Yeah, and a birthday party or school or whatever that is. Yeah, and if you don't have the foods at home, they they don't ask for it. Like, you know, and it was interesting too. And you might notice this with Aviva is, you know, when Otto went to his first birthday party, there was cake served, and he had never had cake. I mean, for his first birthday party or for his first birthday, we did whipped coconut cream and blueberries, and he was way mm-hmm. happy with that. Um, so when he went to a party and there was cake served, he was like, "Oh, I don't even know what that is. I'm gonna go play with this truck over here." Um, and so it wasn't even an issue because he chose to go play instead of eat the cake. And so you just never know what's gonna happen. So as much mm-hmm. as you want to plan and prepare. It's almost exhausting to do that because you just don't yep. know. It is. And also my my actually celebration that I was at um, just a couple of days ago, my brother-in-law was like encouraging her to eat these chips, these like fried corn chips that I know were not organic, I'm sure. And I was like, oh my goodness, I know there's like, this is non-GMO or this is GMO. Yeah. There's it's sprayed, there's vegetable oils. And she just was bonding with my brother-in-law and she's usually like a little bit shy, but he was like making her smile. And it was like, who am I to interfere in this interaction right now? You know, he's feeling good about himself because he's so excited. She's taking something from him and she's excited to crunch on a chip. And I was like, Ilana, let them have this time. And I do believe that there's such like a a soulful feeling of eating some foods versus just a biological feeling. And I look at that, like, look at this is filling her soul right now. And this is them interacting together. So just look at it like a tree and that's okay. And it was helpful for me to just like, okay, move on. No big deal. Yeah. Oh, so, so cool. well, good for you, but that's a good way to nourish yourself. So anyway, we could talk about yeah. this all day long <laughs> and we, we'll talk about it for the next hour. So we've got yes, lots more pretty to share. Much. <laughs> that's great. Okay. So what I, um, just to answer the question, what I did to nourish myself. Um, well, I'm really excited that our podcasts are going weekly. I know we've been excited to share this news with everyone. And what I, what I did was I, I was noticing that I started becoming a little bit like anxious mm-hmm. because I was thinking to myself like, Oh my God, how am I going to do this? Like, how do I have the time to do this? And I was just noticing that I was getting anxious and I'm not a, a very anxious person day to day, but I can default into anxiety when I'm feeling off balance and I'm feeling overextended. And I noticed that I was feeling this. And so I said to myself, okay, 
instead of letting me spiral into anxiety, let me just take a step back and say, well, why am I feeling anxious? And what I realized was, okay, I'm now committing to more hours in the week for doing podcasts. And is this something I want to do? And because I love this, like I love the education part. I love doing this with you, Steph. And I, I love that our listeners are really getting something from our podcast. I was like, no, I, I know I really want to do this. And so the way I nourished myself was that I looked at my schedule and I, and I rearranged things that I also am happy to be doing, but what can I do to back off on something so I can add something like this doing podcasts every week? And then once I was able to figure it out, which it took, I would even say a couple hours, and it even took me sitting down with Anthony and seeing if he can help me with something or what I can do. And I decided to, I'm going to see patients just a couple hours less a week in order for me to kind of step up and do more podcasts. And I'm really, I'm, I'm really happy to do it. It's a little bit of a balance game that I'm finding, but I felt like that was so nourishing to me because I was able to, once I decided to do that and I stepped back and now I looked at my schedule again, I totally felt at, felt at peace and I felt like, okay. I can make this work. This is totally doable and workable. It's still helping people and I'm committed to helping people. And then I really like felt at ease. And so I wanted to share that example of what I did because I felt like that was so nourishing to my nervous system, <laughs> to my biology to just say, okay, it doesn't have to be. Anxiety was just my key into knowing something was off and that something needed to be changed. And so once I got insight into, okay, I'm anxious. Okay. It means that something needs to change something needs to shift. And I took action and I shifted it. The anxiety totally left me. And now I feel so empowered and excited to get into our weekly podcast. And I truly believe if I didn't listen to that anxiety, I would have resented doing the podcast every week or, or maybe I would have resented my patients, or maybe I would have been more upset with Anthony for something or taken it out on someone. And I know I'm now able to prevent that that resentment. So I wanted to share that. I thought that was a really cool process. That is a really cool process. And I too am super excited about these weekly podcasts. And yeah, it does add a lot to our plate. And I think what you're just explaining here, you know, really getting clear about what was causing you anxiety and figuring out steps that you could do to make this work without feeling resentment really speaks to the point that we had on our last podcast recap about balancing, you know, commitments and work in our health, right? Because it's not just about resentment, like you would have been physically burned out and uh, like less healthy for it. So you had to navigate it for multiple reasons for mental and physical health. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about that last recap. We were talking about <laughs> yeah. that exact thing. And yeah. again, it's it's on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. You know, we're always evaluating our stress. And I think oftentimes listening or being aware of when we get anxious or nervous, and you we all feel that it, we're short of breath or, you know, my mind kind of goes a little bit more rapid. And I just almost feel like I'm like starving for time is how I feel. Is That's when I know, okay, something is off. Um, yep. And then just sitting back and observing and reassessing. And I thought that was really great that I was able to go process through that. But man, that has taken me years of work. So it's definitely not easy or quick, but for this one, I was able to get through it. So yeah, so I'm excited. Okay. But let's jump in because we have so much to talk about in this episode. I just, I, Steph, I loved your interview with Leslie and I love just the whole idea of baby led weaning in general. But what I really love specifically about the interview is that you know, it's just how she actually defined baby led weeding. And it, it was not just about how your child's eating. It's rather a philosophy. 
And I loved how she was talking about how it's a philosophy of just how to feed the entire family and how she redefines what the family meal looks like. I, I just never really thought about that when it came to baby led weaning. So I, I really got a lot from it. And what I thought would be fun is if we could personally share what our family meals look like, just to kind of take a sneak peek into our homes and what we do as a routine um, with what maybe a lunch or a dinner looks like. So we can help perhaps just give an idea to our listeners with what we do to make that work for us. Yeah, sure. You know, I love hearing what other people eat and I'm excited to hear what, see what you eat and how you kind of navigate these um, you know, things that she talked about with baby led weaning. So, you know, to answer what we do from the very beginning, they've really eaten what we eat. And partially it's due to the fact that that's so much easier. You know, I'm not making all these different meals, but also because I see our family as eating really healthy foods. My husband and I eat, you know, a whole food based diet and that's when I get what I want to give to my kids. And I think those are the most nutrient dense options for them too. So from the beginning, you know, if we were having sweet potato with our dinner, we would just make it into a form where baby could eat it. You know, it was a developmentally safe size and texture and all of those things. So they've just learned the way that we, you know, they've been indoctrinated into our way of eating from in utero, right? Baby was exposed to the foods and the flavors that I ate through the amniotic fluid and then also through breast milk. And then when baby came out, they got it at dinner and at breakfast and at lunch. So, um, you know, every meal that we have is pretty much focused on Does it have a protein? Does it have a source of healthy fat? And does it have produce? And I tend to do better with less carbs at my meals. So what I do with the kids is just make sure that they have enough for their growth and development. So I'll give them a little bit more sweet potato or fruit, or if they're doing like a gluten-free grain, they'll have that. Yeah, it's so basic. We Try, we sit down together for breakfast and we sit down together for dinner. And during the week, they have lunch at their daycare. And then on the weekends, we, if we're all together, we have dinners all together. And now that it's coming into summer, we, I got this picnic table. And so Otto and Leo will sit at the picnic table and we'll sit next to them at a larger table. And it's really convenient because they, we, get them pretty much naked. You know, they're in their diaper or they're in their underwear or they're just in their shorts. And so if they get food all over themselves, it's totally fine. And then we just hose them off after um, and all the food goes outside. So it's like really easy. Perfect. Yeah. And then oh, that's so cute. That's perfect. Oh my <laughs> and goodness. they're able to have like little conversations with each other now at this age at like a year and a half and three and a half. And then my husband and I can have a conversation. So it's just, it's been really interesting to see how it's changed, but we are very into having family meals together. And um, that's just been one of our personal beliefs. So for breakfast, the kids almost always get eggs. Um, you know, I try to switch it up every now and then because I don't want that to you know, de- eventually develop a, a sensitivity or intolerance because they are just exposed to it so much. But usually it's eggs and then mixed with like a green. Um, I just scramble it. And the kids love mayo, they, mayo, mayo, mayo all day. They just love um, avocado mayo. So I'll either make my own or I'll do Primal Kitchen's mayo. 
And they'll eat the scrambled eggs with the leafy greens mixed with mayo. And I do a little bit of ketchup and then we throw in some sauerkraut and it sounds really disgusting, but it actually tastes really good and they love it. And that way they're starting their morning with some veggies, with eggs, with choline to help them with um, memory and focus and concentration. And then they're getting a little bit of ketchup to make it taste a little bit sweet. So they love it. And the sauerkraut they love. It's really great for their gut health. And that way, when I send them to school and they're offered the breakfast that daycare gives them, which I don't really agree with um, what they give them, they're really not hungry for it. So even if they eat the breakfast that's served, which is for them, you know, they don't, I have a note that they're not supposed to be given wheat or dairy at school. Um, You know, it's usually like a Uh, oatmeal or a gluten-free cereal and because I want to like really fill their bellies before they go to school they usually only eat a little bit of that um, and maybe the fruit with it and then sometimes I'll do like banana eggs where I mix eggs with banana and they love that we'll do frittatas which are really quick in the morning or or we'll do like an applicate breakfast sausage and fruit Um, so that's usually breakfast and I'll usually have the same thing with them and then for snacks we usually do things like um you know, cashews for Otto. He loves those. Um, fruit, definitely. They love Applegate hot dogs. We'll do smoothies. They like RX bars on occasion. And then um, you'll appreciate this. I do like an unsweetened coconut milk yogurt. And then I use elderberry, like kids' mm. elderberry syrup. And that Yay. flavors it and adds a little bit of sugar. So I'll do that. And then also add like um, some other immune support in their coconut yogurt. Because you can mix a lot of things in yogurt and kind of hide it. <laughs> so we'll do that for a snack. And then for dinner, we keep it so simple. We'll do like grilled chicken thighs. Um, they love drumsticks where they can like have their hand on it and chew like little cavemen. Um, they love salmon. They love like ground beef marinara and meatballs. Um, they like their veggies roasted. That's their favorite way to eat them. They love canned green beans. I don't know why, but they love canned green beans. Um, and occasionally they'll eat salad, but I have to really finely dice it. Otherwise, they have a hard time manipulating it in their mouth and they usually just spit it out. So as long as I chop it up really finely, they'll eat it. Oh my goodness. This is like music to my ears. Oh. <laughs> Talk about like good, real food yeah. for our family. Awesome stuff. And by the way, I'm so excited about the coconut yogurt. I tell patients that all the time. So oh, yay. yeah, for listeners, always get plain yogurt and just sweeten it with elderberry syrup. It's like the best. It's a great immune boosting to prevent illnesses, to treat illnesses, but like, why not skip all the sugar and just sweeten it yourself using that? It's great. Oh, this is so great. Oh, my goodness. I think we can have a whole episode, a whole podcast just on what we feed our family. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear what you do with Little Aviva. Yeah, so, okay, I'll try to make it quick because we have so many cool other topics. But um, we, of course, do very similar things. But I just want to mention a couple things as far as our routine. Um, I agree that I everyone in our house eats the same thing. And the reason really why I started doing that is just simply based on laziness. I was like, you know, once she turned about six months, I'm like, oh my God. Well, no, I think I started feeding her around five, five and a half months. I was like, oh my God, another thing to do. I have to start feeding her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, why can't she just have breast milk like forever? It's so much easier. But I was like, no, this is important. And I was thinking to myself, like, I'm not going to make a whole like another meal for her. Like I do not have the time. And I'm like, I'm eating healthy. So she should just be eating the same thing. And that's kind of how I started getting into baby led weaning. It was kind of simply based on laziness. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and spoon feed her. I'm going to put food on her plate and she's just going to explore. As far as what we do with our 
one child we hope to do with our future children as well is just, yeah, we give them what we are eating. So she gets what we eat at all times. Um, the other thing is that we do similar thing to you, Steph, is that we really do our best to eat all together. For us, it's not breakfast. My um, husband, Anthony, he starts his day very early with training. So we're totally on our own for breakfast, except for Sunday mornings. He trains clients Monday through Saturday. So we do not ever see him until lunchtime. And I've designed my schedule where we get to eat most lunches together. When he comes home, he gets to care for Aviva. So that's really special to us that we get our lunches and then dinner we get to do together. And, you know, sometimes he comes home pretty late or I come home late from work. Sometimes we can have dinner as late as 730, which is very late for some families. And if I had it all my way, I would much prefer to eat at like 530 or six. I think, Steph, you eat pretty early. Um, However, it's actually so important to me that we sit down as a family that I've kind of trained myself to be able to wait that long or even sometimes get a little snack or a snack into Aviva. But really what we want is we want Aviva to see us eating. We want Aviva to see that this is like a family gathering and it's a family event for lunches and dinners. And that really because role modeling is so important to us and we know how focused she is. She's so heightened to making us and just into watching us. I want her to see us eating greens and being happy and to eat, watch us eating our vegetables and to like tell her how delicious these are. This is so important to me at this age because she's so heightened in watching us that this is like perfect time for us to show her that. So that's why eating and sitting down and eating slow meals is important to me versus just running around and on the go and her just eating snacks all day. And I think that you can really, really, um, capture these early years. I would say anywhere from the start of them eating to even as, I don't know, would you say as late as five years of age? I mean, you have a big window of time. I would definitely do this before three years of age to just show them this routine of what sitting down to a meal and eating is. So that's why it's important to us. And for us, we really try to do a blessing before dinner, at least. We don't do it before every meal. And I have to say, we're very, we're not very good at it. This is a new routine that Anthony and I want to establish. So we do forget. And our goal is that by the time she's two, which is going to be in a few months, that we're, we're so good good at doing it every dinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's okay. We forget mm-hmm. at times, but it's like, it's such a new routine for us, but we always like to just say a blessing and that's important to us. Okay. So let's go into the foods. Cause it's so fun to talk about this. So, um, for breakfast, I'm usually on my own with Aviva. So what we do is we either alternate between either smoothies. And so she also gets some of my smoothie. Um, we'll do sometimes oatmeal and I put collagen protein in my oatmeal and grass fed butter. And she loves that. She really enjoys that. Um, and we also do a lot of eggs. We rotate hard boiled eggs or I'll, sometimes I'll do sunny side up or scrambled. And then at that, at the egg meals, we always do sauerkraut. She loves sauerkraut and either some kind of, um, carb, like a yam or fruit is usually what we kind of alternate with. And then, um, if I do scramble or fry eggs, then I always also, um, steam some greens. I love to get greens in the morning. It actually makes me feel so good, which is sometimes why I do smoothies. Cause I can put so much greens in smoothies and they're easy to, to get in. But, um, I, I prefer to eat food versus drink my breakfast. And then there's days that I do end up making a smoothie and, um, I'll top it with some like cacao nibs or some like hemp seeds. And I'll try to chew my smoothie just to kind of slow me down. Cause I can just chug a smoothie pretty quickly. And I'm, I try to avoid doing that for lunches. We always do salads. It's like the no brainer. 
Anthony and I love salads, so I always make a big green salad with protein, some really healthy olive oil. I just douse it with olive oil. And then oftentimes I give him a carb because he's working out so much. And then I, I kind of choose if I want to carb that that lunch or not. Um, and for Aviva, I don't give her the green leaves. Just similar to Yushi, there's no way she's going to be able to chew it. The only way I can get the green leaves in her are through smoothies and blending them up. So I'm always giving her whatever protein we're eating in that salad, um, whatever carb we're eating in that salad. And I'm always giving her a fat during that lunchtime. So it could be the olive oil. It could be avocado. It could be mayo. She also absolutely loves mayo. It's I'm so happy uh, we have avocado mayo <laughs> now that I have a child. I don't know what I would have done years before. I probably would have made it like you do. And then for dinner, a similar thing. We do um, a protein, a uh, carb, a fat, and a vegetable. And if um, if you're interested to really see what we eat, every uh, Monday I do meal prepping and I, and I post on my Instagram pretty much everything I make for the week. So you can get an idea of the dishes that I make. And usually those dishes are what we eat for dinner uh, because lunches are just salads that then we just throw some protein and, and mix it up. So um, you can really get a good idea of what, of what we eat and all of those foods that I make, we give to Aviva as well. So it's a really easy way to feed our entire family. And I, and I just love it. Yeah, I totally do that too. For lunch, it's always a salad and then whatever protein we have from dinner. So yeah, <laughs> perfect. So yeah, it makes it yeah. easy. Then you're like, you're insured, you're getting your greens for the day. And I think that's really, really important to get. I did actually want to mention the snacks because I know you you said that too. I'm not a big snack person, but I do like to give some snacks to Aviva. Um, and when I'm nursing, I tend to wanting uh, maybe an afternoon snack. And definitely while I was pregnant, I was snacking more. But um, right now I would say snacks are always a combo of two things. So if I'm going to give her a snack, I usually will give her a fruit with some kind of fat. So maybe a fruit with a nut butter or a fruit and some cashews or Perhaps we do a cracker and sardines, you know, like a something where she's getting like a combo of something. I It drives me nuts when I come home from work and I'm like, hey, Anthony, what did she eat? And he goes, oh, she had blueberries, an apple, mango, and <laughs> oh, no. rice. And I'm yeah. like, Anthony, like we've talked about this, please. Like, And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. And I'm like, okay. That's okay. Tomorrow, what do we like? Give me some ideas. Like, I don't always want to be the person to leave the snacks there and like guide him. Like, I w really want him to feel empowered to be able to look in the fridge and choose what to give. And so I think he's learning with time, <laughs> but it does mm -hmm. kind of drive me nuts. But I think that's very common to do is just to give our kids just fruit or just um, like a uh, like a fruit strip or I don't know, maybe a cracker. It's like, no, always combine it with a protein and or a fat. Yeah, absolutely. When you can. Yeah. And one thing we've had to learn, too, um, with trial and error is that uh, my kids, I mean, they're so active in their metabolisms. They definitely get that from their father. Just they can they pound through food like no other people. My parents are always like, how are they eating so much? <laughs> they, these kids just have such high caloric needs. Um, but what they were doing is they would always want um, a bedtime snack. And I started to see that their intake at dinner would gradually go down little by little. And because I think they intuitively knew that there was going to be a snack after dinner. And so one thing we had to do was make sure that they ate a really solid dinner. And if they ate a really solid dinner, then, okay, yeah, we would give them something like cashews after dinner. But if they didn't, if they ate half their dinner, we would offer the rest of dinner to them as their snack after dinner. Um, because I truly think that they, they need more calories. Um, 
And they do need to snack because they're highly active. They don't stop moving from the time that they get up to the time that they go to bed. And as long as they're eating really high quality foods, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but what I do have a problem with it is that if they're skipping meals or not eating solid meals because they think they're going to get something else. Great. I think that's really good advice. And especially because so many kids become hypoglycemic so quickly and that turns into behavioral issues that turns into just, you know, malnutrition and poor habits and uh, and difficulty concentrating. So keeping our kids healthy with good foods, but the regularity of the foods are so important is a real key for a lot of parents to just to know. Um, And I have to say, you know, we're so lucky that our kids are eating a lot of good nutrient-dense foods. And then there's a lot of kids who are refusing them. Mm-hmm. They, they're they not used to eating these foods. They don't want them. And I thought it was so great that Leslie was discussing um, this topic of, you know, what to do when kids refuse foods. And um, I love what she said, that she says, really keep in mind that it could take upwards of 30 to 40 times to expose a food, um, like any kind of food, a new food or a food that your child may refuse to a child before they do take it. And I think what you had to follow up with, which I loved is it's great to give them and expose them, but also don't push kids to eat that food because it can really cause food aversions or poor food associations. And I wanted to expand a little bit about that and how you give some advice to some of the moms having difficulty with the picky eating and the refusal. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. And I think you're right. I think we do need to acknowledge that we have a a little bit of an easier time because our kids are, you know, they're open to eating different types of foods. Like you said, your little one likes sauerkraut. Um, and they've known this from the start. It can be a lot more of an uphill challenge to introduce these healthier foods to somebody that's been eating, you know, a, a different way of or a different style of eating for a couple of years. It's a totally new thing. Even for adults, it's hard to change to healthy eating behavior behaviors once you've been doing something for your whole life. So One of the things that I try to do and I recommend is to be indifferent about foods. And so it can be really hard for us to be like, oh, yeah, you're eating broccoli. Please eat broccoli. Broccoli is so good for you. Broccoli gives you strong bones, like all this kind of thing. And um, or, you know, kind of the opposite is like, oh, no, that's bad. Um, So just kind of being neutral with it. And if they make a face, be like, okay, that's cool. You don't need to have it. Um, we do this all the time with our kids. If they don't like something, we're just like, okay, that's fine. You don't need to eat it. You can you can try another bite if you want to, but you don't need to eat it. But we continue to serve it and we continue to serve it in different ways. So if they don't like their carrots boiled, we'll try roasting their carrots. If they don't like roasted carrots, we'll try pureeing their carrots. Um, we'll give it to them in different ways. And, you know, just um, letting them make the decision whether or not they like it. And I really encourage you know, myself, my husband, and other people that if you're eating something for dinner and you don't like it, like let's say I make cabbage steaks. My husband hates cabbage steaks, but and I love them. Um, but I tell my husband, like, if you don't like it, I don't want to hear that you don't like it at the dinner table. I want you to eat it, you know, like eat a bite of it, try a bite of it, and just leave it on your plate. I don't want a discussion about it. Um, And if you really feel like you need to say something, we have a code word. Our code word is pineapple. Like, if he doesn't like it, (laughs) he'll be like, pineapple. And I'll be like, oh, okay, like, that's why he's not eating it. Um, 
And so I think is if you if your kids overhear you saying things like, oh, no, 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 like Sally doesn't like carrots, then Sally is going to get that internal complex like, oh, yeah, my mom's saying that I don't like carrots. Yeah, I don't like carrots. And she's not able to develop her own stance on it. And she may be less willing to try it. So those are kind of my initial I have a lot of thoughts, but those are the initial things that come to mind. Gosh, but that's so brilliant. I love that. We'll have to start using that pineapple idea <laughs> at the table. Um, there are a couple of things, and it's true. We can do another whole podcast on this. Um, just for in-depth information, I just did, or I'm doing a whole series of picky eating um, kind of like uh, information on my Instagram. So for people t- who want more information, you can go to the Instagram page because I'm really passionate about this. I want kids to really eat good, nutritious food. And I, I posted one of those exactly on that is give it to them in different forms, you know, because maybe they don't like raw carrots, but they love roasted carrots. You said your favorite, the kids love roasted veggies. So don't give up. And I think that's the big take home is they may refuse it, but just don't ever give up on it. And to add, if I may, because there's just so much information is, yeah, never label. And I do that. and I love that indifference. It's like even in anything for our kids, don't label them. Oh, you're such a a good sleeper because you know what? One day they may sleep really well, but one day they may not sleep well. So why even label them? Or gosh, Mm -hmm. you're such a good eater. It's like, well, maybe one day they're hungry for food, but then the next day they're not. It doesn't make them bad. And I think we so easily can do this. We, I mean, it's so easy to label, oh, you love broccoli. But then one day they stop eating their broccoli. Then all of a sudden we assume they don't like broccoli, but maybe just that day they weren't interested in broccoli. You know, like, some days I don't want to eat broccoli, you know, like that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think if if we can be as mindful as possible about labeling our child like, oh, they only eat chicken nuggets. Well, no, maybe that's your occurrence of how they want their food today. But let's not label them like all they eat are chicken nuggets and pizza. And it could be because all this time, all you've been giving them is now pizza and chicken nuggets because you've now labeled them as that's the only thing that they'll eat. So just keep on giving them and keep on trying. And even if they don't eat it, that's fine. No big deal. Okay. No big deal. Oh, well, tomorrow it's on your plate again. All right. Well, they're seeing them and 30 to 40 times. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of time. So don't give up and don't push it and don't give up. You know, I mean, you could still do that. Let them refuse. That's fine. No problem. Okay. You don't want that. No problem. But it takes a lot of consistency on, on mom's parts. Yeah, that's true. So let's talk about first food. So I think we all agree that the first food should be iron and zinc base, which ends up being like our meats and our our animal proteins. So what are some other ways or other ideas of how we can incorporate meat into our child's diet, maybe in a more creative way if they're refusing like standard ground beef or standard chicken? Like what are some of the things that you recommend? Because meat can be a hard one for for kids and for parents to have on their plate. Right. So yeah, I agree. The iron and zinc is so needed at that six month mark. And um, so there are now even purees. I mean, the the company Serenity Kids, which is just fabulous, makes now purees of just good, high quality grass fed beef and chicken, you know, good organic chicken that's, that's in a puree. So then the kids may not even know it's in there if, if they're really not taking to the ground beef, um, or, or chicken. The other thing I would recommend is just really thinking outside the box. I think we just get in the rut of eating chicken and, and fish and beef, but 
really consider what about bison or what about venison or lamb or, I mean, you know, some foods that we're not necessarily used to eating, but putting that on your child's plate and maybe perhaps they like more of that gamey meat, even though you thought maybe they wouldn't. And it's so high and rich in iron. Um, Another one is that is so interesting, but shellfish. Shellfish is actually just super nutrient dense in iron and zinc. It's some of the highest quality of foods that we have. And I don't think many of us think that our kids are going to like that fishy taste. But I'll tell you, Aviva begs for fish oil. Like I almost have to <laughs> keep it from her because she smells like fish and it actually bothers <laughs> yeah. me because it like yeah. she it, like drools all over her. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so messy. And she really, she loves love sardines. And I look at her like, you are crazy, but no, she's not crazy. She knows what her body needs. And it's so great for the brain. So something like oysters, like there's smoked oysters you can get in cans that you'd be shocked that kids eat. I know you said Leo and Otto both eat oysters and that's so nutrient rich in iron and zinc and great first foods for, for kids. So those are some ideas that I like to share. What do you think, Steph? Yeah, I love all of the ideas and not like underestimating their their preferences. Um, I think kids like to chew and like not on foods. So my kids, like I mentioned, they love drumsticks. They love holding on to the bone, like, um, you know, especially when they're little, when they can gum things or if they have a tooth coming in. Um, liverwurst is something else. Um, I, I talk about this a lot, but U.S. wellness means they make a liverwurst and a Braunschweiger and my kids love that. So if they're kind of refusing meats, if you can get that into them, a little bit goes a long way with that. It's so concentrated. And when it comes to like protein intake, the needs are, you know, the RDA is actually very low for what you would think for a little one. And so if we can jam the most nutrient dense options um, in, into our onto our plates, that's going to be really uh, efficient and effective. Um, some of the other things, you know, how you serve it, like we talked about, is really important. So instead of making just plain circular burgers, you can get cookie cutters and use shapes to make different, you know, hearts or stars or like something like that where it's really fun for them to look at and they get excited about it. Um, my kids love their meat, like ground beef. Sometimes that can be, if it's drier, like a turkey, it can be hard for them to manipulate it to the back of their mouth. And so what I like to do is mix it with a fatty carrier. Um, we do guacamole, we'll do a pesto, we'll do mayo, and that way they can kind of let it slide down a little bit easier and then they get a different flavor with it. Great. I love the advice you also gave on the podcast where like you would almost take guacamole and just mix it in other things yeah. and so that they can actually, you know, really take a good grasp so it's not so slimy on their hands. Because with baby led weaning, mm -hmm. a lot of, I mean, the whole idea is that they're feeding themselves. And so I love that. And then I think Leslie brought up the idea of maybe rolling something, she said, in the almond meal or almond yep. flour. Yeah. I thought that was just such a brilliant idea so that we're encouraging the baby led weaning for them to really take it and put in their mouth. And that actually, this is a random question, but why do they call baby led weaning, baby led weaning and not like baby led feeding or baby led eating? Do you know? Yeah, I think it has to come down to you know, when we think about weaning is weaning from mother's milk, right? Or weaning from formula and starting to introduce more solid foods. So when, whether you start at four months or six months, we usually prefer around six months. Um, once they start introducing solids, they'll naturally start, like, start reducing their intake of formula or breast milk. So that's why. 
I get it. I think I would call it baby led eating. Or yeah, baby-led and feeding. some people do. Yeah, it's oh some really? People do. Yeah. yeah, I've seen it both ways. Yeah, because I feel like that's the whole idea. And then, and then you add this philosophy of just how we're doing meal times and how we're eating. It's not just about the weaning process. But anyway, I just thought that was an interesting idea because every time I learn more about baby led weaning, I'm like, I don't like this name. <laughs> <laughs> you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> you know, it really is. There's no, and I think with baby led weaning too or baby led feeding, some people think you have to do it exactly as outlined. Um, and I know there's some moms that are like, well, what about like, can I do a mixture of purees and a mixture of solids? And you can do whatever the heck you want, you know, whatever is safe for your baby. And naturally, if with baby led weaning, they're going to get some puree, right? Like things like yogurt and things like applesauce are more puree form. So you you don't have to worry about sticking to it perfectly in order to do it. Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I get that same thing from patients that ask, they're almost like concerned, is it okay? Yeah. And I'm like, oh my goodness, is it okay? Absolutely. And one thing that I personally do, just if you don't mind me sharing, but mm-hmm. I think it's fun to share. When I ever do give purees or yogurt or something to Aviva, I just put it right on her high chair and then she just eats it with her fingers or even a spoon on her own. So it's still an idea like she's still feeding herself. It does definitely get messy. But but we want that mess. You want them to play. You want to encourage them. And this took a lot for me because I like cleanliness. I'm a very clean person and I like things just (laughs) orderly. And so it really took a lot for me to just not clean up and just let her make a mess and just at the very end, clean her up. And I got this information from a, a good friend of mine who's an occupational therapist who really stressed that to me. She goes, you have to let her explore. You have to let her get messy. So I was like, all right, fine. I'm putting all of her pureed food like that, that is naturally puree, um, on her high chair and she's going for it. And so even smoothies, I would sometimes just like drip on her high chair. And it's just some of the best pictures I have of her just all over her face, all over her body, naked baby. And she loves it and she gets it in her mouth. And it's a way for her to really have a lot of tactile, um, movements and sensory inputs and textures. And she's all about it. And I think that you could still use purees in a very baby led weaning type of technique. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she talked about, you know, waiting to the end to clean up because if you think about it, like if you were dining and every time you got a little bit of something on your cheek and somebody like wiped it off, you'd be very distracted. Like, wait, what was that about? Like, I'm just trying to eat here, lady. So, so it makes sense. You know, they are tiny little humans. Okay. So coming from your perspective as a a naturopathic doctor who specializes in pediatrics, I would love to know what your protocol is for introducing common food allergens within four to six months. What do you share with your patients? Oh my goodness. This is a great question. In fact, again, we could probably have a whole episode just on food allergies Um, because I do this a lot with patients and this is a very typical question and I actually have a big handout on it. So I'll try to summarize. The first thing is um, I just want to preface this that feeding your children could be very nerve wracking. Um, I know for me it was mostly because I have a, a very strong family history of allergies in my family and I didn't know what to expect with Aviva. You know, she was obviously just nursing. She was doing great. But the minute I started giving her foods, who knew if she would go into anaphylactic shock, if she would get hives or break out an eczema, I, I just wanted to be prepared. So I really can empathize with the listeners. And what I want to do is just give you some, um, good tools and some understanding of how to approach this. Um, 
you know, we, you guys mentioned so well in the podcast that the recent studies showing how important it is to give these allergenic foods early in life because it can really, really help prevent uh, later on allergies to specifically peanuts or eggs, shellfish, soy, you know, our top common allergies. So I am encouraging giving these allergenic foods as early as possible. Um, so what I, what I do is I talk to the patient. So um, I want them to just be ready for it. And I really want them to have a strong gut feeling that they're ready. And if their gut isn't ready, then you don't need to do it. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. No one is telling you to introduce these foods, even though the studies do show a good, good effect later in life, um, until your gut feels like you're ready. Great. So now when you're ready to do it, I want to have you prepared with three different things on hand in case your child does have a possible adverse reaction. The first one I recommend is homeopathic apis. Apis is a great homeopathic to bring down swelling if swelling occurs, um, and it, it will work immediately. And if you use apis and it doesn't work immediately, the next thing you're going to have on hand is Benadryl. So just over-the-counter liquid Benadryl, you're just going to have on hand in case you need it. And if you really have a strong family history and you feel like it's necessary, I want you then to get a prescription from your doctor for an EpiPen. This is if severe anaphylactic shock, you can inject right into your child and then you know, right away that allergy reaction will go away and then you'll have some time to then call an ambulance and to take them to the emergency room. Now, I'm not saying these things to scare you. It's not common for kids to have real severe allergies to these foods, and they are called common food allergens for a reason, mm -hmm. <laughs> is that we do find that these, I think there are seven different foods, do tend to have allergy responses in kids. They usually don't get to the point where you need an EpiPen. It usually can be taken care of with a homeopathic Apis or Benadryl, but it is very important to just have these three things on hand just to be precautious. Now, the next question really is, well, how do you choose the food and how often and frequently do you need to give the food? And you guys did talk a little bit about this in the episode where it was recommended to give one food at a time and you give one food three times per week and you just start noticing you may give maybe you choose egg for example i think it's a great first food for kids specifically the egg, egg yolk and um you want to maybe perhaps you decide to start just with the egg yolk and you don't do the white and for that first week you give them a little bit of egg yolk three times throughout that week and then the next week, if you see no reaction, then maybe you add the egg white and you give them that egg white three times in the week and you see no reaction. Great. Continue to give your child egg. Maybe then the next food you want to choose is peanuts and you want to do that as a peanut butter. It's a great way to get that in. Of course, you want organic, no hydrogenated oil, no sugar, peanut butter. And you give them the first dose of peanut butter and you notice, you just observe them. Oh, I've, no, I've never noticed a rash on my child, but now my child has a rash. It could be the peanut butter. Now, it's nothing that horrible, so maybe you give them a dose of apis and it goes away. You want to give them a second dose of that peanut butter, and you see the rash is getting a little bit worse. In that moment, I want you to really step back and say to yourself, okay, this food may not be a healthy food for my child. However, I'm supposed to be giving my child this food because later in life, you want to make sure that there is no allergy. You want to try to avoid the allergy. And you're really perplexed because 
you don't want to give this food that's causing a rash. But at the same time, the studies are showing that you actually do want to continue to give your child that food because you don't want them to be allergic to it later on in life. You're, you're stuck in a very difficult position. And so what I offer to my patients and I want to offer to you is that it's really good information to see this. What this information is giving you is that you're seeing that your child may be prone to allergies and that we want to now give our children as much therapeutic um, um, nourishment to help to prevent allergies. And this is such a great opportunity to do such to do that. So if you see your child have a reaction to any of these foods, you really, really, I recommend giving them probiotics and fish oil right away and giving them daily amounts of this because these are boosting your child's immune system. They're, they're decreasing the inflammation that they're having to these foods. And it's giving your child that much more opportunity to be able to be exposed to these foods and exposed to other allergies so that later in life, they don't have such big allergies. So again, just to be clear, if your child has a reaction, this is good information for you. This isn't a bad thing. This isn't a wrong thing. Your child still is strong and they just have susceptibilities to allergies. And it's just so good that we now know this information. So to be more proactive, go ahead and start giving them a daily dose of fish oil and probiotics in addition to their vitamin D, which I believe every child should be on is a vitamin D supplement. I don't necessarily think every child should be on probiotics and, and vitamin and, and fish oil. I think that there's a time and a place for it. And this is the perfect time and place to get your child on a probiotic and fish oil. And then you can start reintroducing the peanut butter at your own speed. Maybe you want to give the time for your child to boost their immune system for two weeks or three weeks, you know, give their time for the probiotics and fish oils to be in their system and then go ahead and reintroduce it again because you really want their bodies to develop immunity to this food so that later in life they don't have that. And then you can continue reintroducing other foods like shellfish and um, soy and wheat and even those foods that aren't necessarily the most nutrient dense just so that they're really getting it in their bodies. Um, I hope that was clear. Can you tell me if that was, Steph? Because I want the listeners to really understand how to go about this. Oh my gosh, I thought that was fantastic. That was more than clear. The only thing that I would just clarify is when you say peanut butter, we want to talk about thinned out peanut butter or even a peanut butter powder because peanut butter in and of itself, like if you give just out of the can, out of the jar, that could be a choking hazard. So when she says peanut butter, she is really thinned out into a consistency that's not sticky um, or like you have those, those peanut butter powders that are out there, mix that into their food. Great. Thanks for clarifying that. That, that is important. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I'm glad it was clear because yeah. it is a, it's a tough subject. Yeah. And I remember yeah. as a mom, I was really worried about it. I was the one who got the EpiPen. <laughs> yeah. I, I had my Apis, my Benadryl and the EpiPen ready to go. And thank God I've never had to use it. But at the same time, I really went into it thinking, you know, if the symptoms come about, I'm just so glad to have this information so that I can really help boost her system later on in life. So I want parents to go in feeling ready for it. Um, the other question I get often, and I just want to make sure to not skip on it, is I have parents asking me, so if I give a food at first and there's no reaction, does that mean I'll never have to worry about reaction 
as I continue to expose. And I wish the answer was an easy, straightforward no, but unfortunately it's not. I've seen many times kids, especially with eggs, have no problem eating it for even months. It may be for, you know, maybe six months, the first year of life. And then all of a sudden, one day they have a little bit of a rash around their their mouth from from eggs. And why that happens, it's unclear. However, even if you see it at that point, go ahead and up those probiotics and the fish oils at that time. Because again, all right, the body's just kind of figuring things out. And it's, you know, maybe at that stage, it's the exposure is higher. Who knows? We don't really know. But at least we know that we have things and protection, protection mechanisms to really help our children. You may just want to avoid it for a little bit and then go ahead and reintroduce it again. Yeah, perfect. And then I would also say that with all of these things, it's really important to talk to your pediatrician about a good plan for you. Because if your infant has had an allergic reaction to a food or has a known food allergy, um, if you think your infant has a food allergy, if there is like moderate to severe atopic dermatitis, uh, if there is a sibling that has a peanut allergy, um, your doctor may want to have you work with an allergist or an immunologist for total evaluation, and then to develop a, develop a personalized plan for the introduction of allergens. Yes, I agree. I actually think probably the number one symptom I, condition I see in kids is eczema. Yeah. I see so many kids with eczema or a family history of eczema. So this is very common. And right away, we do a food sensitivity panel, an IgG food sensitivity panel, not just a common IgE panel. We do the IgG, and it is very important to do these type of um, labs. Okay, awesome. So let's talk about introducing foods to your baby. Maybe some of these allergens, for example, I get this question a lot that the parents don't eat dairy or the parents don't eat wheat, but they want to consider introducing it to their little one for the purpose of allergy reduction and sensitivity. So what did you do? I mean, I know you don't really eat a whole, you don't eat wheat or gluten, Yes. Yeah, so this was actually very interesting when I, I had to come up with this situation. And I was thinking to myself, but I want to expose her, even though I don't eat it, I still want her to gain the immunity. So I still don't bring it into my house because mm -hmm. it's just, I don't want it in my house. I don't cook with it. I don't want it. So that's is when I take advantage of being out at parties. So we were talking about this earlier. It's like, great, this is the perfect time to introduce the bread because I don't necessarily want her to eat this bread, but she's not going to get it at my house. So you know what? Great. Go ahead and gnaw on that piece of bread because this is your your time. And then I actually feel, I don't feel guilty about it. I actually feel like, great, <laughs> she's getting exposed. This is like good therapy for mm -hmm. her. And you know, you could kind of almost look at that like the cake. Well, he's never going to really get that piece of cake, but I know there's wheat in it. So great. This is now his exposure to cake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's what we do too. I mean, I really do use that as an opportunity to train his immune system in that way because we don't keep that in the house um, either. Now with dairy, that's something that we have played with a little bit more. I, I waited to the boys were like 15 months before I introduced dairy to them. So I didn't really follow the allergen rule um, with dairy just because I know they both, they both seem to have a little bit more reflux when I had it um, when I was breastfeeding them. So I held off a little bit um, on, the, on the dairy for them also to reduce their risk for ear infections. I know my mom and my brother um, and I had a lot of recurring ear infections as a kid. So I um, was trying to reduce that risk. So 
that that's that's kind of what we did too. We just when they were out or if they were at daycare and they got exposed to things, we let it be, but we didn't purposely have it in the house at all times for them. Great. Yeah, I think we have a similar philosophy and I really do it really does help me feel more comfortable when they're eating out and they're exposed. Yeah. Like it, I just keep on looking at it like, nope, this is great for their immunity. I want them to be exposed and I'm glad it's just in small amounts. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that you do that. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's how I would encourage other parents to do it, but I still wouldn't have them bring it in the home. And sure, then it is harder to get that three time a week exposure. But in my opinion, those those foods that are lacking in nutrition, I'm not even, I don't even care for them to have a robust system to be able to tolerate later in life. Like if my child can't eat wheat or soy or even dairy later in life, like I'm okay with that. If like, if they have Mm -hmm. to avoid it for various reasons, then that's fine. On the other hand, something like eggs and shellfish and even peanuts, I mean, those have nutrition in them that I feel like, gosh, I I sure hope they're able to tolerate and, and, and eat over their lifetime because it would just be such great nutrition for them. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All yeah. right. What about the, <laughs> she, she mentioned having dark chocolate and she would put dark chocolate in her child's lunchbox. So, oh my goodness. I could not wait to talk about this. Yeah. This is like, okay, the then you go ahead and start. I want to hear what you think. No, I'm actually so curious with yours. So I'm going to be honest. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, you know this about me that yeah. listeners don't, this is very atypical, but I personally don't even like chocolate. I wish I did. Weird. I've never, I know it is so weird. I've tried making myself like chocolate. It's very strange. Um, I think one day I will. I mean, I have to. I'm like, I feel like I'm missing out. But anyway, I always say to people, I wish I liked dark chocolate because I actually find it to be one of the healthiest of desserts that you could choose. I think it's so well balanced with just great fats. It has great amount of even some fiber in it. It has a low carbohydrate profile and it even has a little bit of protein. And when I look at desserts and sweets, you're always looking for something that isn't just pure sugar, you know, that really has those good kind of ratios. So I always wish I liked it, but I just don't. So I I, I don't find this to be a bad food choice. There's high polyphenols in it. There's great antioxidants in it. And when it's really dark, it's really a great bitter food. And I feel like we don't get a lot of bitters in our diets unless you're eating a lot of greens and eating a lot of like even bitter coffee. I mean, coffee's bitter. That's why I, I'm not necessarily opposed to coffee either one a day. Again, I don't like coffee either. So I guess I don't like a lot of these bitter foods, but I do love greens. Um, so when it comes to dark chocolate, I was so interested that she encouraged it and that she put it in her daughter's lunchbox every day. And I thought to myself, you know, I would consider doing that. I haven't done that yet with Aviva, but I wouldn't be opposed to doing that as a very healthy dessert. And I think it is important to give our children a good relationship with some of these kind of sweets without making it like, oh my goodness, this is bad for you or this is wrong. I think it's that could be harmful. And so why not encourage the dark chocolate as some healthy treat as she's developing her sense of understanding and exploring what different foods have to offer and, you know, what nutritious type of desserts there are. So I'm open to it. I'm curious your thoughts and I I am open to the idea. 
Oh, you know, I think I was like hoping that you would say something different. So I wouldn't have to say like, yeah, me too. That's ditto because that's kind of a boring answer. But um, <laughs> that's I mean, that's exactly how I looked at it. So we haven't had to cross that bridge yet um, because I don't pack a lunch for my kids for school. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to doing it. Um, I think there's definitely some benefits to it you know, outside of the nutritional ones that you talked about as far as making them feel like, you know, um, like normalizing it, right? Because all the other kids probably have like something special or like a little treat in their lunchbox. And so if you're going to give a treat, I think that's definitely one of the better options. Um, we don't really have chocolate at home uh, because I find that I just – can't stop is like one of those foods without breaks with me. So if we have a chocolate mm -hmm. bar at home, like I want to eat the whole thing and I'm constantly thinking about it. So we don't really keep it at home. And so that's not something that the kids have grown up eating or um, so they're not like constantly asking for it. Um, so I would I would just kind of look at it and I think it depends on how it's used. I mean, if it's something where it's like, OK, if you finish your dinner, you can have chocolate. I don't know that that's like the most appropriate way to go about doing it. But if it's in a, a child's lunchbox because that makes them feel special and it makes them feel like all the other kids that have a little tree and you know, you're choosing really high quality dark chocolate, I think it's totally fine. Again, as always, just looking at a child's reaction. I mean, if they, if they are eating quite a bit of it and the caffeine's an issue, that might be something. Or if you're mm -hmm. noticing a reaction of any sort, um, just keep an eye out, eye out for it, just like every other food. But I thought it was really interesting. And I think I think we will get to that point where they'll want to have something that is like a fun highlight of the meal. And if that's dark chocolate, I'd be totally fine with that. Mm -hmm. You know, what comes to mind when you were talking about this is a lot about modeling. Yeah. And this is a big part of baby led weeding is modeling. And I think it's possible that I have a relationship with dark chocolate where I just don't like it. So I don't even think to give that to my children. Yeah. And you have a relationship with dark chocolate that it's one of those foods that it doesn't have a break for you, you know? And, and so you know that this isn't something you want in your house. And so then you don't even think to give it to them because perhaps they may not have that break for that food. And I, I, I want us to be very careful in not projecting our association with chocolate or any food to our kids, because mm -hmm. I think it's so easy for us to do that. Like even take sardines. Like there are plenty of people who are like, oh, I don't like sardines. So my kid for sure won't like sardines. It's like, <laughs> hey, 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 yeah. let's take ourselves out of the picture here. And so that's kind of why I liked this idea with dark chocolate is even though I don't like it, well, maybe she will. Or for you, even though you have a hard time keeping it around the house, well, maybe that's not their relationship with it. And they are able to stop themselves from overeating it. And, and I just find it's so easy for us as moms to get wrapped up in what we know or what works for us and what we want for our kids. And I always constantly want us to not allow that to be because we want to model just I like how you said it, almost like an indifference with stuff like, okay, well, this doesn't work for me. Well, maybe it works for you or for me. Wheat doesn't work for me. 
So wheat doesn't work for them, but maybe it does work for them. So I just want us to be extra cautious about this. And if anything, if maybe you want to start the kids on chocolate, just be mindful about their behavior with it. See, if you start putting in their chocolate box, and then all of a sudden it's like constantly, I want chocolate, I want chocolate, mm-hmm. I want chocolate. It's exactly. like, all right, yeah. we are done with chocolate. Or perhaps you start putting in their lunchbox and they're like, wow, this is such a fun tree. And they don't even ask for it, but it's just like a surprise here and there. Then great. They've got a good relationship with it, then that can work for you. And so I think that may be the answer. Now, I think I'm thinking out loud. So thank you for this opportunity. (laughs) I think that's how I would introduce it with Aviva is just, just introduce and then observe and see how she does with it. Because sometimes like, even if I don't like it, that's fine. She may like it and she may, you know, not, she may not abuse it. And I think that that's great. So just for the listeners out there, just try it on. Try it on with your kids. See how they like it. If it works for them, great. If it doesn't, then stop it. And I think you can say that with every food. Yep. And I think the indifference comes from, you know, how it's presented, right? So if you finish dinner and you're like, all right, yay, now time for chocolate or like, oh, it's dessert time. Like that's very different than like, okay, we finished dinner. All right. Does anybody want a piece of chocolate? Or, you know, oh, you know, I think I want a piece of chocolate. Does anybody want one? Right? Like it's very two very different scenarios. And one of them is kind of like, making chocolate seem like it's the highlight of the meal or like, oh, you have to eat all this food first and then you get chocolate. So I think there's so much, you know, as we've talked about over this last hour, there's so much psychology that goes into it. And you're not doing a bad job if you're doing it one way or the other. Don't think that we're thinking that at all. We're just trying to give some outside opinion and like some information that you may not have thought of so to guide your choices and help you decide what you want to do for yourself and your family. Great. Oh, great. I think that's actually a perfect way to end because that's such a real important point to hone in on. And I think that's what Leslie was trying to say about the baby led weaning. It's not just a way to feed your child. It's a whole philosophy. It's a whole way of behaving around food. And if the parents both have this idea that food is more than just food. It's really about psychology and behaviors and habits and how we approach that with our family. And that can look like sitting down to eat and eating slow and or choosing not to use chocolate as a reward versus it's just part of the food group. Or, you know, I just think that all of this is just so great for us parents to just question and anything we could do to question anything parenting relationship, I think is awesome. (laughs) I think just mindful parenting is just the way to go. And anytime you could just start sitting back and questioning something, you're on the right path of, of parenting. So that's my opinion. Amen, sister. Great. All right. So to wrap things up, um, I just want to let everyone know to please remember that the views on this podcast, they're not meant to be substituted for medical advice, shouldn't be used to diagnose, treat, or cure any conditions, and are intended for general information purposes only. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast to help us spread the real food word. We also invite you to visit our website, Real Food Mamas Podcast, to find past episodes, leave comments, and ask questions for future shows. We love to hear from you. Now go on, have a good day, and nourish and nurture you and your family.